Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Hey church, how we doing? Woo! Glad you guys are here with us, whether you're in person or online. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Peter Anderson. I don't usually say pastor. My name is Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH, and uh, we're glad that you're, you're with us today. Um, man, we are continuing in through this series in simple, and the last couple weeks we've looked at uh, a couple different things. We looked at loving God, and then we looked at loving people, but then specifically we looked at in loving people this idea of joining small groups and our small groups that were getting off the ground. And Jeff talked about we've got a bunch on Wednesdays, but we also have a bunch of small groups that are not on Wednesdays. So we have two types of groups, Wednesday groups and not Wednesday groups. Um, and if so, if you're looking for one, you can go on the website um, and, uh, and find one of those. You can go on the app, do whatever you want to do. But last week, we talked about the idea of service. And man, I had told you guys like, hey, our, our service teams had been obliterated, right? I mean, just our volunteers, it had been tough. It had been a rough go for us. And we want to get back to normalcy is whatever normalcy looks like at this point in our lives, right? Um, we wanted to get back to, to doing ministry to the best of our ability. And that required a large group of people to sign up uh, to minister, to volunteer, to help us uh, through the ministry. And so I want to say thank you guys because you guys stepped up to the plate. So last week we had 44 brand new volunteers step up to the plate to, to serve the church. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and like 18 of them were to hold babies. Um, and so the crazy, that one line that I said about if you can sit in here and hold a donut, you can sit over there and hold a baby, that got you guys. And you guys were like, you're right, you're right, baby's barely bigger than a donut, I can do that. So anyway, so we're, we're pumped, we are moving forward um, through this thing. And so this is, we're going to talk a little bit more about the, uh, the discipleship circle that we've, we've had up. You can go ahead and throw that up there for me, that's your next slide. And so like I said, we've, we've talked about small groups, we've talked about service, and so today we get the opportunity to talk about this Greek word called oikos. And so if you've been with us for a while, you probably understand this concept. If you haven't, if you're new, this is more than a yogurt. Um, oikos specifically, it's, it's a Greek word that means household. And so when we're talking about this idea of oikos, back at the way that it was used, somebody's household was everybody in their care, not just, um, you know, the people who are living under your roof. So, you know, my oikos specifically would be, you know, my wife and my five kids, right? Like that's the way that oftentimes you say, okay, that's my household, but it would be people in your care. And so if I had a, 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 like a, an estate, like a lot of land, and I had employees work for me personally and that sort of thing, all of those people would be in my care. They would be under my household, um, as it were. And so the way that we talk about the idea of oikos, we say, hey, God has both supernaturally and strategically placed 8 to 15 people in your life, your personal life, to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Everybody has an oikos. Everybody has people that are in your sphere of influence. Um, for, for me, I'm a little bit more of an introvert, and so my oikos is a little bit, little bit smaller, okay? And so for you introverts out there, like I'm not saying you have to have eight friends, because I know that just stressed some of you guys out, especially you dudes, right? You're like, I don't got eight friends. I don't know how that's going to work. I got one friend, and I talk to him once a year, and we're good, 
right? And then, and then there's others of you who are extroverts. Uh, a lot of the times this lands on the, the, lady, the lady side of things, and they have all of the relationships, and it's great, and it's awesome, and you got like 30 people who would be in your oikos, people that are in your care, and that's, that's great for you guys. God bless you. I will never be on that end of the spectrum. But regardless of where you fall, all of us have these 8 to 15 people in our life that we are responsible for sharing the, uh, the gospel with. And so we call this oikos. This is a biblical term. This isn't one that we just came up with. I wasn't in the supermarket one day and was like, oh, hey, that's a great name for this because it's Greek. Um, no, no, no. This is all over Scripture, specifically in the New Testament, okay? That word oikos, man, that is the root word for a whole bunch of actual Greek words that are written in the, in the New Testament as well. So this isn't something that we came up with. This is more of something that was discovered by some other pastors, and I liked the idea, so I took it from them and I kept running with it. And so oikos, is a, it's a big deal to us. It goes by other names, lifestyle evangelism, organic evangelism, evangelism, whatever. We call it oikos, okay? And so we believe that once you get to this point on our discipleship wheel, if you're like, hey, I've been a first-time guest, I'm a regular attender, I'm involved in a small group, I serve. At that point, we think, hey, you have been plugged in with our church long enough, and more importantly, you have been plugged in with Jesus long enough to be willing to share with people about Jesus, people that you already have influence with. And I would venture to say that's actually our responsibility as well. Raise your hand real quick. Parents, if you're a parent in the room, doesn't have to be little kids, just you've, at one point in your life, you have been a parent. Um, awesome. I guess at all points in your life, you're a parent once you become a parent, right? Anyway, don't worry about that. So, the, so, so Sarah and I, we've got, we've got five boys. It doesn't matter that they're boys, except that I like to add shock value a little bit every time we have five kids, okay? And so um, Sarah and I, we have five boys, and it is a joke every single time that we go, like all seven of us, anywhere, like specifically to like a store to gr grab groceries or whatever, because inevitably we'll get to the checkout line and someone will be like, wow are all of those kids yours? <laughs> We're like, no, we grabbed a couple when we came in. Yes, of course they're all ours, right? Like, and so, and, and so we'll, we'll usually like, yeah, they're all ours, man, it's great, blah, blah, blah. And we'll get one of a couple responses. The first response is like, wow, you guys, I mean, you guys are kind of crazy. You know what causes this, right? And I'm like, I know what causes this, thank you. Um, the second response is like, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry to your wife because there's so much testosterone in your home, right? Um, and the third, our favorite, tends to be, man, you are so blessed by having so many kids because like for one time, we don't feel like the weirdos in the room. Um, but we have these boys, and our responsibility as parents is to raise these boys to the best of our ability. To say, hey, look, we want you guys to, 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 to be raised in such a way to honor God. We want you to honor your future wives. We want you to, to, to live in such a way that, man, you, like you are going to love God and love people to the best of your ability. And so part of us bringing them up is we always do, like we decided, but like when we started having kids, that I was going to do a man trip with our kids. A man trip. When they turn 10, they get to do a man trip with dad. Okay? And they get to decide what the adventure is, but really the rule is they have to, they have to conquer something. Like that's the rule. A man trip isn't just like, hey, we're going to go to Disneyland and conquer meeting Mickey Mouse. Like, that's not how this is going, okay? It was like, no, you get to, we get to plan this thing out, and we get to do it. So a couple years back, I took my oldest son, and he decided he wanted to, he wanted to conquer Half Dome. And I was like, bro, you're 10. Like, let's scale that back just a little bit. 
Um, and so we ended up conquering Vernal and Nevada Falls together. And we went and, man, we had some great conversation about things that a 10-year-old boy and his dad need to have some conversations about. Um, and then we, we did some other stuff as well. But just on Friday, two days ago, uh, I took my, my second oldest son, Micah, on his man trip. And so he decided that he wanted to go to Sequoia National Park. And he found this beautiful uh, alpine lake that he wanted to hike to. It's called Heather Lake. Um, and so we, we hiked up this trail. And there's one point in this trail that um, it's, it's a, this big outcropping of rocks called Watchtower. And it's beautiful. Some of you have probably done it. Um, but you have to walk past Watchtower on this little ridge line to get past, uh, to, to get to the lake that we were going to. And so Mike is nervous and, um, and he has to walk on this ridge that it's like six feet wide. I mean, there's a pretty significant, but it's still like six feet wide. He could have fallen over twice and not fallen off the edge of the cliff, right? Um, but still, it's pretty intimidating. But then there's a little spot that it gets to, I guess, it's like maybe three feet wide that it feels like, feels like six inches. And so he conquered it. He gets past it. He would all this stuff. And, and as we're there, we get the opportunity to talk about a whole bunch of different things, about just what does it mean to be a husband? What does it mean to be a dad? Like, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus as, as a boy who's growing into a man in this stage of your life? And we do it not just so I get the opportunity to go, hike with my kids. I mean, it's an added bonus. But beyond that, we do it because we want to make sure that, that the responsibility that we have as parents is to be able to say, hey, this is how that you should live. And it's not just a one-time conversation, right? Like that'll be a marked moment for Micah. That'll be a marked moment for him. But beyond that, like we want him to see what it looks like to, to love Jesus, and that's not just my responsibility, it's obviously my wife's responsibility as well. It's our responsibility to our kids to teach them all of these different things. And we can probably get a bunch of head nods and say, yeah, that's right. As a parent, like that's your responsibility. As a, as a parent who loves Jesus, that's your responsibility. But man, it is, it is more important to make sure that your kids know who it is that has redeemed them, know who it is that went to the cross for them than any other thing that's our responsibility. But I think oftentimes in, in the Western church and in, in, in American churches in general, we have not yet counted the cost of what it means to actually follow Jesus. We have not yet fully accepted the responsibility of what it means to follow him. And I don't know why it is, I don't understand why it is, but, but even in our cultural context, most people would say that the United States, the Western church is moving towards a post-Christian culture. Most places actually, I would venture to say, are in a post-Christian culture at this point in America. I would say our community probably isn't yet. Okay? It is trending in that way, but it probably isn't yet. And so what we still see in the community in which we live is cultural Christianity. People who would say yes to church simply because that's what you're supposed to do. Because mom and dad did that. Because grandma and grandpa did that. Because it's a social norm is why it is that I would go to church. But those days are long and quickly uh, falling behind us. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the responsibility that we have as followers of Christ? Because the, the church has to be more than a Kiwanis club with music. Like that doesn't cut it. Right? That is not the intention of the church. The church is God's plan for carrying out his kingdom to the ends of the earth. 
That's the reason for the church. So how is it that we are supposed to, supposed to achieve that? I'm going to ask you to flip to Acts chapter 10 in your Bibles. Okay, you can flip there if you have one physically. You got a digital one, click open to it. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. And Acts chapter, the book of Acts specifically, it's, it's kind of Luke's manifesto. A lot of people believe that the gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts were written as one, kind of a, 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 a part one and part two manifesto for him. And it focuses on two main people, the book of Acts does, focus on two main people, focus on the apostle Peter and it focuses on the apostle Paul. These two characters are incredibly important in the life of the church. And really these two characters represent the two sides of Christianity would see in early, like the early Christian church. We see Peter, who's representing uh, the Jewish people, and we see Paul, who's repre- who, who's, whose job is to evangelize to the Gentiles. So we have two different types of people in the New Testament, and only two. We still have these two types of people. Okay, We have people who are Jews, and we have people who are Gentiles. So if you're sitting in here today, and you are not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Congratulations. You just learned something new about yourself, okay? This story that we're going to hear today, this event that takes place is what was necessary to allow everybody who is not Jewish, meaning everyone in here, into the kingdom of God. If this did not happen, if God did not move in this way, then nobody in this room would be welcome into the family of God. The, the book of Acts, it comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is praxis, Okay, and that word, really, they, they would use that word to talk about these big, uh, big events in early culture described like these great deeds of the apostles. So the book of Acts, it means the Acts of the Apostles. So if you're ever wondering why it's named Acts, it's because the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, um, And so it's like a series of, of little kind of vignettes chronicling the lives of, of these two key apostles, Peter and, and Paul, uh, in the decades that are immediately following Jesus at this point. So in chapter 10, we get a chance to see some of the first Gentile converts to Christianity. We get to see somebody's oikos come to faith in a very, very real way. So again, if it weren't for this event taking place, none of us would be in here. So the first thing we need to take away from this story is that there's a man by the name of Cornelius. And by the way, you young moms in here or anybody, like mom, like if you're pregnant and about to have a baby, can we get a baby Cornelius around this church? I'd be a big fan if one of you guys was like, this is our baby Cornelius. Um, you just don't hear that name. I'm a big fan of that name, Cornelius. Anyway. So we see a man, though, by the name of Cornelius. He moves when God tells him to move. And this is going to be incredibly important. So we're starting in Acts 10, verse 1. It says this, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what is known as the Italian regiment. Okay, press pause there for a second, okay? A centurion... Uh, who Cornelius was, he was a Roman officer who would have been in charge of about a hundred different soldiers, okay? Centurion, century, a hundred, right? Makes sense. A centurion in charge of about a hundred different soldiers in the Italian regiment. A regiment would have been about 600 soldiers, okay? So there would have been six people or so in charge of these 600 different men. And in the New Testament, centurions oftentimes are, are viewed as favorable. These are good people for the most part. All stories that we see, these are good, favorable people. And so centurion Cornelius uh, became one of the first Gentiles after Pentecost, which happened in Acts chapter 2, to hear the good news of Jesus's forgiveness, okay? 
stage set. Let's go to verse 2. He and all of his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God. Press pause. In verse 30, he calls this person a person, a person with shining clothes, right? That's what he calls him. So an angel of the Lord. Let's keep going. Who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. There's two different Simons. Okay, Simon Peter, disciple, apostle now at this point, and Simon the Tanner, somebody who had really good complexion. Just kidding, that was a joke. Okay, so two different guys. Verse 7, when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius, he has a vision. He has a dream. And God, like this angel, is like, hey, look, you need to go. You need to go and you need to find this dude, Simon Peter. Like, send these people to go and find this guy. So Luke writes in here in the book of Acts that it's three in the afternoon. This is probably referring to a Jewish time of prayer, a time when the Jews would, would pray. And so if so, like, God approached Cornelius by means of an angel while he was praying. And Cornelius responded to the angel by asking, hey, what is it, Lord? Like, what, where, like this is where we find out that, that centurion Cornelius was incredibly devoted to God as is evidenced by his prayers. It's evidenced by the amount of time and money that he gives to people who are poor. The angel instructed, instructed him to send for Simon Peter. And so when, when the angel who spoke to him left, Cornelius, he calls three of his men. He calls two servants, um, and he calls a, a, a guy who's a military aide who's a, also a devout man is what it says. And it's probably easy to, to assume that these three had been influenced by Cornelius' devotion to God. And so the fact that Cornelius is talking about God and he's saying, hey, you need to go and do these things like this wouldn't have, have been strange. And so after he called them, he told them everything that had happened. He told them the whole vision. And the three went off to Joppa. Joppa, Joppa would have been 33 miles from where they are in Caesarea. Okay, so this isn't like a light trek necessarily over, over, over rocky terrain and all of that stuff. But they, they went to go and bring Peter back to Cornelius. It wasn't like they were delivering a letter it was like, hey, go get Peter and bring him back. So the next day at noon, the scene changes. Okay, later on in chapter 10, we get a whole bunch of, of verses. We don't have time to go over them all verse by verse today, but the scene changes to Peter going up on the roof to pray. The apostle Peter is going up on the roof to pray. And as he's going, food is being prepared. And it says he fell into a trance and he saw a sheet that was coming down from heaven. And on the sheet was every single kind of animal that a Jewish person wasn't allowed uh, to eat. So being a good Jewish man, he argues with Jesus about what is allowed and what isn't allowed on his restricted diet. It's the first time in history that a man has argued to not eat bacon. Write it down. But the verse that, that shifts Peter's thinking, though, it comes in, in chapter 10, verse 15, where Jesus says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So God is like, hey, look, nope, don't look at it that way. I have made this pure. That's the way you need to think about it. Essentially, this is God informing Peter 
And through him, through Peter, the the entire early church, that the kingdom of God is not just open to Jewish people who follow the law, it is open to everybody. So if you followed along with us when we walked through the book of Exodus earlier this summer, you saw the law being handed down by God, right? We talked about this. God handwrites the Ten Commandments and gives them to Moses. There's more laws that are established after that, the things that you were allowed to eat and not eat and how you had to eat them. And if you sinned in a specific way, what burnt offerings you had to make, make all of these different things. And so it's at this point in Acts chapter 10 that God removes that law specifically from, 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 uh, the, from the Gentiles and saying, hey, look, this is open now to everybody. So this would confuse good Jewish men. This would have confused Peter, a law-abiding Jew, where God says, hey, look, eat whatever you want, do whatever you have freedom now, which would confuse him. This would have been confusing. So in, in verse 19, still in chapter 10, it says this, while Peter was still thinking about the vision, because I'm sure he probably thought about that a lot, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so, go up, or so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what it is you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Now, I don't know about you, but if three random strangers showed up to my door and was like, hey, we need you to walk 33 miles, like, it better be a vision from the Lord. They'd be like, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm going to go walk 33 miles. So, so Peter, regardless of how long it was, this guy had to be bold. Peter had to be willing to move. And all of this goes down because Cornelius saw what God had for him, and he did it. Cornelius acted first. He jumped. Cornelius went all in. He was like, great, I'm going to send these three guys. I'm going to risk putting my name out there. And, and, and re- like this is kind of probably worrisome for him at this point. He went all in. But he wasn't the only one who, who went all in. Peter also had to go all in at this point. He invited three complete strangers who were not Jewish and who were not part of the early church into his home. This probably would have been troubling for him. But the fact that these three guys showed up and was like, hey, are you Peter? Like the spirit spoke to him. He was willing to go all in. And he was bold. Peter was bold, not just because the spirit said it, because Peter also recognizes his responsibility to love people. We all have that responsibility to love people. And so after this, Peter has to be bold because he gets invited to this big gathering of people who weren't in his formal oikos. They weren't people who was, uh, it wasn't Simon the Tanner or Simon the Tanner's friends or Peter's family or whoever it was else that he was hanging out with. It was a bunch of random people that he had zero context for. And so he was like, yep, I'm going to go. Chapter 10, verse 27 to 29, it says, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He is back now in Caesarea. He said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. 
I'm sorry, this is still at his house in Joppa. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent with me? Peter is well aware of the consequences here of fellowshipping with Gentiles in their homes. He was very aware of that, but he had learned the lesson of the vision well. The command to eat unclean animals meant that he was, not, uh, he was not to call any man impure. He was not to call any man unclean. So he showed up. He went all in. He was willing to be bold because of what Christ had done and shown him in his life. So if Peter recognizes here that if Jesus tells him to love all people, then he better be bold enough to love all people. He better be bold enough to do so. So what did he do? Peter simply tells his story. Acts 10, starting in verse 39, going through 43. This is Jesus ta- or Peter talking about what Jesus had done in his life. It says, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify, testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now we read this, and there are massive theological implications here, right? We, we read this, and, and even as like a pastor talking about this, I'm like, oh yeah, let's parse this out and let's figure out all the different theological pieces in this and nerd out a little bit. It'll be easy to get sucked into that. But really, what Peter is doing here is Peter is telling a story. Peter's like, hey, look, this is what I saw. This is what happened in my life. He was not seen by all people, but by the witnesses who God had chosen, by us who ate with him and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He is telling his story about how Christ changed his life. That's who Peter, that's what Peter is doing here as he's talking to Cornelius, as he's talking with his oikos. And to be fair, okay, Peter's story definitely has a leg up on my story or your story. Okay, Peter's story of like, hey, yeah, I was hanging out with Jesus the other day. We got in a little mud fight in the Sea of Galilee before we were hanging out. I don't, that's not in the Bible. I just want to imagine Jesus having a mud fight with his disciples. You know he won. Um, but, but like Peter's story definitely, like he walked with Jesus. He communed with Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He saw Jesus get crucified. He saw him be raised from the dead. Like he saw all of these things. His story has a leg up because he met and lived alongside the physical Jesus, but, but he just simply went in and told them what he had seen. He told them what he had encountered. He told them the details of his ministry. He told them the details of his death and his burial and his resurrection. He told them the truth about what it is that he saw and, and experienced. Now, while his story may have a leg up on what Christ maybe has done in your life, because if you compare Peter's testimony to Peter's testimony, it's a little bit different, right? It's a little bit like, well, I was laying in my bed when I was eight years old, and I prayed a prayer with my mom to accept Jesus into my heart, and I've lived for him ever since then. Okay, that's my story, and it's richer than that, and it's bigger than that, and I love my story, but Peter's is a little bit bigger than that. But his encounter with Jesus, Peter's encounter with Jesus is just as real as mine is and as yours is. 
His story is just as important as your story is. And a Peter, the, 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 the person who said, hey, like you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus was like, hey, look, like that is the rock that I'm going to build the church on. The guy who said that, implementing the strategy, like that his strategy was to tell his story about Jesus in his life, then we probably need to be okay utilizing our story with our oikos as well. If for Peter, he wasn't like, hey, you know what we need to do? Man, we need to do a really deep dive study into the Old Testaments and the prophets and the law to really figure out who it is that Jesus actually says he is. And what does it say in the original languages? I know we speak the original languages, but what does it say in the, well, what did he mean by that? No, Peter didn't utilize any of that. You know what Peter did? He simply told his story to people who hadn't heard his story before. Who was willing to share those things with those people. And because of his boldness in telling his story, Cornelius and Cornelius' oikos came to faith and were baptized. It says so in Acts 10 verses 44 through 48. It's not going to be on the screen, but it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, as Peter was still telling his story, as Peter was still talking about what Jesus had done in his life, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they had heard them speaking in tongues And praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And just like that, you and I are welcomed into the family of God. Just like that. The fellowship of believers, because Cornelius and Peter were bold enough to step out into faith. The two of them. They had to take steps of faith. They had to be willing to step out. So the question remains, what does that have to do with you? I mean, if you've been following along, hopefully these parallels are pretty obvious to to each each and every one of us. You need to be willing to share your story with your oikos because we have a responsibility to love people well. That's it. Our responsibility to to people is to love them well. And man, I've been banging this drum since I've been here. I will continue to bang this drum until like after I'm gone, years from now. Love people, love people, love people. We have to be bold enough. We have to be willing enough and transformed enough to share our faith with other people. And so when we're talking about oikos, you need to be aware that, that your oikos, like in this situation, can change and it will change oftentimes just simply depending on the season for me and my wife right now it's actually like like based on season so we had swim season and we had water polo season and now we're in soccer season right I signed up to to coach under eight-year-old soccer and that was a bad decision like, they're great, they're awesome, but, but can you really coach eight-year-old soccer? Like, what's the point of practice? Goal, ball, just all of you guys bunch up as close as you can and try to kick it to one of the goals, right? Like, that's really what it ends up being. Okay, but I, I believe very specifically these kids are on our team, are on my team for a reason. Like, God has supernaturally and strategically placed these kids and their parents into our lives. And so I don't know, like, I don't know if they're going to come to faith 
But it's my responsibility, it's my wife's responsibility to talk about these things that matter, to step out boldly in faith. And so your oikos is going to change. It's like Peter's oikos, it changed, right? He was in one spot, 33 miles away. And God was like, hey, no, go to this other spot. And so he went to this other spot and his oikos shifted and Cornelius was there. And Cornelius' buddies were there. And so it changes. And it doesn't say, hey, just, just love people and love people only if they look like you or if you're comfortable talking to those people or they come to the same conclusions politically that you come to or they share the same lifestyle choices as you. It simply tells us that, that we need to love people. We need to love our oikos wherever that may, do, may be. And that is hard to do. I'm not trying to make light of that. But if you were to imagine that, that discipleship circle again on the screen, like for whatever reason, the Western church, we have a hard time getting past that oikos part. My guess is, is that the majority of you in here, if you say, yep, I'm completely, but like I am a part of FBH, the vast majority of you stop at service. The vast majority of you. And I don't know why it is, and, and, and I, don't think it's, I don't think it's just like our church alone. Like, I don't think it's just like an FBH issue. I think this is a Western church issue. The man, we are comfortable sharing whatever it is that we want on Facebook. We are comfortable talking about any other thing in our lives. We're comfortable talking about politics and recalls and vaccines and masks and all of the things that ultimately are temporal and do not matter, and we refuse to talk about that. And it doesn't make sense to me because Jesus defines us. Following Christ defines who we are. There is nothing else in the entire universe that will define you as much as Jesus is going to define you. And let me be a little bit more brutal. Can I tell you that you cannot fully love somebody until you've introduced them to Jesus? That's the reality. So there's people in your life that you say you love right now, and I would say, no, you don't, because you have yet to talk to them about who Jesus is. You have yet to take that step of faith and introduce them to Jesus. I think you can do life with those people. I think you can like those people. I think you can be family members with those people. But if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, then you haven't fully loved someone until you've talked to them about him. And I don't know why it's such a big obstacle for us to overcome. But church, can you just imagine what it would look like if each of us just simply got back to the idea of sharing our story with our oikos, sharing our story with the people that we already have influence in in our lives. Like Peter was like, hey, I don't know any of you guys, but apparently you're in my oikos now, so I'm going to go and I'm gonna, just going to talk to you guys about Jesus and what he did in my life. I'm not even asking you to do that. I'm not saying walk up to strangers. I'm not saying walk 33 miles to a town that you've never been to and hang out with people that you've never talked with and share about a Jesus that they've maybe never heard of. I'm saying, hey, you've got people in your life, 8 to 15 of them, who need to know who Jesus is. And it's your responsibility. I would say you have not loved them completely until you've done that. It's our job as a church. It's our job as the church. 
And you know, turn on the news, the entire world is aching and groaning to know their Savior. We all see it. I see it. You see it. Turn on the news. Turn on your favorite social media network. You see a mankind who is desperately in need of a church to be bold and initiate some sort of change. And FBH isn't the savior of the world. Pastor Peter, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Kyle, like, we aren't professional Christians. We're just Christians. Like, it's not going to be my responsibility to to talk to people who are in your relational world. It's yours. There are people that you know right now who I will never have a conversation with, who will never hear a single sermon that I preach, who will never hear a single announcement that Pastor Jeff gives, who will never hear a single song that Pastor Kyle plays. It is your responsibility. It is people in your oikos. Your world needs desperately to know who Jesus is. And it's your responsibility to get there. So church, as is our our tradition on the first Sunday of the month, we're going to transition to communion, but I specifically want you to think as you're communing with God, as you're talking about your sins, as you're, as you're saying, hey, God, I need to lay this out, and I'm sorry for these things, and you remember him on the cross, and real quick, if you didn't get communion elements on your way in, you can just raise your hand. We've got some people who will come by and take care of you. They're coming around right now. Just leave your hand up so they can see you. But, but what we're going to do is, is, is in just a second, I'm going to pray for you. And if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, this is your opportunity to say yes to Jesus. Because we believe in what's called an open table here. That's theological speak. And that means that you don't have to be a member of our church to partake in communion. We just ask that you're a member of the body of Christ, meaning you have said yes to him as your Lord and Savior. And so if that's you today, my hope is is that you would say yes. But beyond that, for all of you who have already said yes, for all of you who said, yes, I am in, and maybe you're just stuck, maybe it's, maybe it's the small group piece, you're like, yes, I'm in a small group, I haven't said yes to service and serving other people yet, or maybe you're at that service piece and the hard jump to say, hey, I'm going to go all in with my oikos. I'm going to say yes because Jesus is who defines me. If that's you today, have an honest and real conversation with Jesus as we're listening to this song. Because we're going we're gonna to listen to a song, we're going to pray, we're going to listen to a song. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to sit, you can sit. If you want to raise your hands, if you want to keep them down, whatever it is that you want to do. But this is your opportunity to commune with God and have a real conversation about your responsibility to the faith about what you said yes to. And then after the song is over, we'll partake in communion together. I'll lead us in that. So why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thanks for Cornelius and his boldness and his willingness to just just take what it is that that your spirit, that your, your messenger, your angel said to him and take a bold step of faith to send people to find Peter. And thank you for Peter. And thank you, God, for, for, for opening up the kingdom of God to not just Jews, but to all of us Gentiles as well. 
But thank you for Peter and taking that bold step of faith and seeing, seeing three strangers show up at his door and saying, hey, look, God told me that I'm supposed to go with you, so let's go. And then not knowing any of them, but recognizing that the people in his sphere of influence, his oikos, they changed. And his responsibility was to proclaim the gospel because he knew that, that in order to love people well, that he needed to share Jesus with those people. That he needed to talk about you and what you did in his life and what he saw and what he encountered. And so God, thank you for, for Peter and his boldness. But God, more than anything, this morning I pray that, that we would come to terms with the fact that we have a responsibility to you. That the church is your plan A for reaching the world. That our world, our 8 to 15 people, that you have placed there, that it's our job to talk with them and love them enough to introduce them to you. And maybe you're here this morning with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you've yet to say yes to Jesus. But hey, maybe somebody in your relational world brought you. Maybe you were one of the eight to 15. You're like, hey, I wanna live for something bigger. I recognize I'm a sinner and I need to turn from that sin and the only person who can heal me completely is Jesus. If that's you today, I just want you to pray along with me right now with heads bowed and eyes closed in the quietness of your heart. Just repeat after me. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. That I sin God regularly and that I need to turn from that. I need to ever repent of that sin. Be, I believe that you sent your son to help me do that, to cover those sins. There's no way I can be good enough to make it into the kingdom and I believe you sent your son to die on the cross, conquer death three days later and be resurrected just like Peter talked about. And see, I would choose to follow you, that I would continue to turn from that sin, that I would run specifically towards you, and every single day as my feet hit the floor, I would be ready to proclaim your name. I would be ready to talk to people in my world about who you are and just simply tell my story. God, I pray you would make us bold enough to do that. So we love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.